On today's episode 13, I'm talking with Lucy Schaefer, commercial photographer and author of School Lunch, unpacking our shared stories, featuring firsthand memories from celebrities and diverse subjects from around the U.S. and 25 different countries, with contributions from Jacques Pepin, Adma Lakshmi, George Foreman, and others. Before photography, Lucy studied painting at Yale University, taught art in Italy, and spent five years as a photo editor at Food & Wine magazine before launching her own commercial photography business in 2007. She currently keeps busy shooting food, lifestyle, and interiors for many editorial and advertising clients. Lucy has shot over 50 books in the past decade and is so proud to release School Lunch on August 3rd. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about your book because I've been always a little bit obsessed with school lunch. You'll see that I often ask my guests on this podcast what they remember from their school lunch. And, you know, oftentimes it's a really great story because it says a lot about someone, you know, what they had for lunch. Totally. Yeah. People's lunch memories from their childhood often are so visceral. They can remember like the chair they sat in to have the lunch, what color the tray was and all these little details that you wouldn't expect, you know, a 50 year old person to remember from when they were six, but they really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so great. And I really enjoyed reading the stories. They're all in uh, first person, correct? Yep. How long did it take you to interview all these people? And how did you find them? Yeah, the the book, you know, it started over five years ago, and it just sort of grew. It started as a personal project and, and grew into a book. And so I don't even know how to answer that question. Because for a while, I was just plugging away at it whenever I had time. Um, and then once I got a publisher and a book deal, I became a little more targeted about it. Um, but it really, you know, each person was different in terms of how long it took me to lock them in, to do the interview, to, to follow up, to get the details of their, the food, to do the food shot. So mm-hmm. it really was, it really was a mix. Right. The book includes, you know, um, an ex, like an interview of the person, a portrait, and then you actually yeah. photograph their lunch. I mean, you must have had to ask a lot of details because I'm sure you wanted to get their picture right. Totally. Yeah, totally. It was actually super fun because I worked with, for most of the food shots in the book, I worked with a food stylist and a prop stylist that I work with a lot during my commercial photography um, shoots. And mm-hmm. these two were great collaborators and we had a lot of fun just making sure that if it was a gross pizza that we let the cheese congeal. And if it was, <laughs> if it was a peanut butter sandwich that got smushed by the apple, we, we made sure to smush that apple in, you know? So, right. I you know, when someone told me that they brought carrot sticks, my next question would be, was it in a Tupperware? Was it in a Ziploc bag? Was it in a fold down bag? Did they get dried out? So I, I really asked all of these detailed questions that obviously I cut from the interview, but I used that to inform um, the still life food photo. Right. They're great when you go through, you really get a sense of like uh, either, you know, some people had um, really wonderful lunches, you know, homemade, organic, from scratch. And then you had the contrast of, you know, people who didn't have much or like the mundane monotony of like the same lunch, right? Exactly, exactly. Like it really does run the gamut. So my hope for readers with this book is that you could open it up and find like this nostalgic moment of like, oh my God, that was my lunch. And then just also be surprised with the diverse experiences that you might not have, that might not have been like your own. Right. 
Oh, I just love, I mean, some of them are, some of them are really heartbreaking and some of them are hilarious, yeah. you know, really funny or, uh-huh. or, you know, I could, I could relate to, you know, um, you know, things like people having lunches that were embarrassing, embarrassing for right. different reasons too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, you know, Padma Lakshmi is one of the the celebrities in the book and she talks about her childhood. She grew up partly in New York city and partly in India and she had the same lunch in both places. She had Indian food. And obviously in India, it was no big deal. And everyone had that. But in Queens, everybody was like making fun of the smell and the look. And right. <laughs> she felt really conflicted about it. I remember her telling me because she, on the one hand, she didn't want these like white bread bologna sandwiches that looked not good compared to the Indian food she had. But on the other hand, obviously nobody, especially a kid, likes to be teased or be different necessarily. So um, there were some, there were a few that, stories that were like that. And, you know, then there was a couple classic just, oh, my mom did egg salad sandwich and it smelled bad type. <laughs> <laughs> so, Melissa Clark, right? <laughs> yes, Melissa Clark and the, the great uh, fart day or something like that. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I know. Like my daughter likes that. Um, egg salad sandwiches too, but she uh-huh. cannot eat them around her brother because her brother cannot stand anything with hard boiled eggs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I remember from my own childhood, Shelly Stocking used to bring an egg salad sandwich and she knew that I didn't like it and she would sit there and kind of like mush it with her tongue, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's, I feel like egg salad sandwich is just, you fall, you either love it or you hate it. Like nobody's in the middle on that one. <laughs> oh, I know for sure. Well, I mean, I, I, I got to ask you, what, what was in your school lunch? What do you remember? You know, mine was like, I want to say nothing special. It was, it was peanut butter and jelly and probably a little Debbie packaged cookie treat type thing if I was lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe a juice box, some chips. Um, But while I say it was like nothing special, like you you sort of take for granted your own culture and your own, um, what felt like, oh, just normal to me is not the lunch that a lot of these people I spoke to had. So, it is kind of fun to compare stories when it gets into that. Right. I mean, I grew up having school lunch, um, you know, the uh-huh. cafeteria lunch. And it was mostly because my both my parents were working and they they didn't know what to pack in school lunches. Like they didn't you know understand. And so they the idea that you could have a hot lunch was like, yeah. oh, yeah, definitely. You want to have the hot lunch. Why would you take something cold, you know? And so they signed us up for hot lunch. And I remember not disliking it, which is surprising to a lot of people. You're not alone. There's a lot of people who, even Katie Leaves, you know, famous in the food world now, Mm -hmm. and like really loved her school lunch and she loved the little compartments. You know, I think that really appeals to a kid. Um, Yeah, it's for sure. I used to get school lunch on Fridays. I remember I would get the pizza and it was this, I'm probably like dating myself now, but it was 75 cents for the lunch. And then you'd have a quarter left over and they sold ice cream for a quarter. So it was like, oh, yeah, very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. My kids um, always took school lunch, but then my son decided that he would do hot lunch on the pizza day uh-huh. and the roast chicken day. In fact, yep. he, he liked the roast chicken so much that he asked me to ask the cafeteria lady for the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and I know she, she was so sweet. She was so Miss Amy here, you know, at the yeah. school that they gave to. She was so delighted the fact that um I well, sent sure her a little made her day. Yeah. Oh, I know. I said, My Lucas loves your roast chicken. I make roast chicken all the time, right? Right. But I know you're had a like a, right. Well, I had like a dry rub on it. And she says, 
Miss Amy makes the best uh, roast chicken. Can you ask her for the recipe? And she was like so flattered. And it took her a while to do it. She says, I had to, I didn't think she was going to scale it down, but she scaled down a recipe, like a small lunch size recipe down to six drumsticks. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I need to get Miss Amy's recipe also. I know. (laughs) It was, it was just a really nice spice. It had like coriander and different, Mm. a a bunch of different, I can't remember off the top of my head, paprika, but it had brown sugar. remember that and it was just Uh a dry rub and that you roast it until it's basically like almost to the point where the you know covered so that the meat is falling off the bone and it was all drumsticks and the kids would just pick them up and eat it but you know that's perfect (laughs) it was a it was a happy memory so the pizza now he he understands that it's not like his dad makes really nice pizza you know gregor right he he makes homemade pizza but he's not on instagram and been been very (laughs) jealous yeah he's he's i mean my sons, he understands that it's a whole nother category of pizza. There's school lunch pizza, which is square and it has its own appeal. Yeah. You know, I think everybody understands that. I think that's like school lunch pizza. You could say that to anybody, any, any state in our nation, and they would have such a clear, crystal clear <laughs> picture of what that is. <laughs> I always felt like it had to be square because I had to fill it, fit into that plastic compartment just right. If it was round, it uh-huh. wouldn't fit right. Uh huh. Well, I remember talking to one person about the school lunch pizza, and this story actually didn't make it into the book. I had so many conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have written three books with everybody's stories, but I do remember one person telling me they always would try to get the corner piece with the cafeteria pizza because they felt like because it had more crust, you were getting more. Like that oh, was yeah. kind of more. <laughs> so <laughs> do you position yourself in line where you can see like as they're, as they're slicing up the pizza, like, okay, third one in, I'm going to get the corner. Or, right, <laughs> or you right. go ahead of me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I imagine that. Well, and I only got packed, I only got a cold lunch when we had a field trip. I remember like if we were going someplace and they would announce and you'd bring home the flyer that, you know, get permission that you're going on this yeah. field trip. And I would tell my mom, I need a school lunch. I need a packed cold lunch. And so we would go to the store specifically to buy things for my lunch. And because, you know, she, as an immigrant, she didn't know what. She would just let me get whatever. So I would have so much fun picking, like, the different, like, I'd pick, like, a strawberry sun-kissed, you know, oh, nice. chips. Nice. I was like, a candy bar was required, you know. Right, right. <laughs> oh, you just were taking advantage, I see. Oh, yeah. But she was like, you know, this is what every kid must have. And, right. you know, so much the fear of, you know, immigrant children's parents was like to you want your children yeah. to fit in, fit in yeah. and not feel weird you know so she yeah. let me put whatever I wanted in my lunch and I really look forward to those for sure <laughs> yeah did, oh, go I ahead. was gonna ask you Lucy where did you grow up I grew up in upstate New York Cooperstown New York so oh I know small yeah, town. baseball hall of fame baseball right? hall of fame that's right that's <laughs> claim to fame Oh, that's great. And so when you were doing your interviews, I noticed um, you have a mix of like famous chefs, celebrities, just Mm -hmm. everyday people. Um, That's what I love about it is it's not just because everybody who regardless has an interesting story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I really did try to cast a super wide net and get and it's funny, I had this very... um, sort of eccentric list going of my wish list. Like I wanted somebody who grew up in the circus, which I got, I was super excited. (laughs) I wanted somebody who, you know, I had a very, you know, wanted a Hasidic rabbi, which is also included in the book. And just, I was just trying to think of like, who would, who would have a different story to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of was seeking that out. And I, I do remember 
there was something I couldn't find. I remember being disappointed and talking to my agent and she said, Lucy, you're the only one who has this list. Like no one is going to read this book. And let's say, oh, you I know. Stories. Like, How come there wasn't somebody from, from the circus? But you know, it's just, once you start putting it together and it's a collection, um, there's about 70 stories included. I just, I wanted to make sure I had as diverse possible, you know, I have somebody who's age six. I have somebody who was almost 90 when she told mm-hmm. me. Her story. So uh, that was super important to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the ones that's really kind of heartbreaking was George Foreman. Yes. And George Foreman was probably the hardest. I worked the hardest to get his interview. I think mm-hmm. I worked for two years sending messages, text, a combination of text messages, emails to him and his, one of his sons, George Foreman the fourth, who does some mm-hmm. PR work for him just to try to get to him. And it was because I, I knew, um, I have a friend, Cal Fussman, who does a lot of writing for Esquire magazine. And he, he used to do those, what I've learned columns where they're mm-hmm. also first person about celebrities, just talking about their life. And when he heard, I was, when my friend Cal heard, I was working on this book, he said, Oh, you got to talk to George Foreman because of his story. And, and he kind of told me a little bit about the story that he had learned and then I was just so intrigued that I, I just had to get it. But it was it was a lot of work. And he ended up being such a nice guy in person and so great. It was just, you know, he's a busy man. And it's a, it's a bit of an odd ask. Can you can you let me I know you talk to me about your school lunch and <laughs> and uh, let me come to take your picture. So but he, he was ultimately up for it, which I was very excited about. Well, and I would love for you to be able to um, read an excerpt from the book because his his story in particular um, really resonates. Because you know, I as a parent, you know, I know you have two girls, and you know, mm-hmm. as a parent, all that you want is you, the idea of you. You want your children to have the basic needs, right? Food, shelter, yeah. that kind of thing, and feel loved. But you know, the it's heartbreaking when you can't provide those things. Yeah, financially, you just can't do that. And then, and what comes with it, the shame, the embarrassment, the kind of all those things. Exactly. Yeah. And I I wanted that was so important for me to include a story like like his in this book, because, you know, we, we get a little caught up in the Oh, I didn't get Doritos. And my mom didn't let me have that. And then you know, you, you realize that there's kids who can't afford lunch. And that's, that's uh, important to keep the perspective. Right. You have your, you have your, the lunches where some people and uh, as adults, you re- actually really appreciate the fact that, you know, your parents might've given you this all organic, healthy, right, well-balanced right. lunch. And all you wanted was Doritos and gummy worms. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So do you want me just to, to read a little bit from the book then? Oh, I would love, I would love that. Okay, yes. great. Well, he probably needs no introduction, but he is a former professional boxer, two-time world heavyweight champion, Olympic gold medalist, ordained minister, author, and entrepreneur. And he was born in Fifth Ward, Houston, Texas in 1949. So I'm just going to go right into his story. Violence is all built around hunger. Growing up, I was always hungry. I didn't have a good time going to school. Even on a good day, there was only going to be one meal. My mom had to get up early and go to work, and we went to school without breakfast or lunch. Coming home from school, that was the time there'd be a meal, and that meal would have to last you until the next day about the same time. Occasionally, something bright would happen and we'd take a lunch to school, a paper-thin slice of lunch meat between two plain pieces of sandwich bread. I would daydream about a little mayo. 
Some of my happiest days as a kid were the days when I had just finished eating. That meant I could play all day. I could jump and run and have fun. On the days when I didn't have enough food, there was always a reason to start or finish a fight. As a kid, so much violence was built around pure hunger, and so much joy was built around having a tasty meal. Third grade is when you start looking around and trying to make yourself handsome. It's also when you try to conceal that you don't have anything. I'd find an old greasy paper bag at home, and I'd blow it up and carry it with me to school. I'd have this fake bag so that kids didn't know I didn't have a lunch. At lunchtime, I'd say, I ate it on the way to school, or, oh, I ate it already, and fold it back up. That bag was precious because you needed it again. You couldn't just throw it away like they did their bags. I didn't know how a person can be so deprived and poor, but then have so much pride. Um, Anyhow, he goes on to talk about that he was number five of seven kids, and his two older sisters dropped out of school pretty early. Um... And then I'm just going to read again a little bit in his words what he ended up starting to do. He said, I'd leave my home every day like the best boy in the world. My mother would go off to work and then I'd go to school with all the kids. Then I'd make my circle around into the woods for a little bit, head back home, climb in my window and go to sleep. At about 2.30, I'd climb out of the window, go back through the woods to the school and walk back home on the front street as if I was a nice schoolboy. If you ask me what caused this, what caused that, I can tell you. Hunger. Hunger. Hunger was the thing that motivated me, period. I was always searching for enough to eat. I started boxing so I could get more food. When I see kids now, I have this thing where I feel responsible to feed them. I'm always asking, you want some more? You want some more? You never get full. So anyhow, his story goes on, but that's that's a little little taste of it. And and it's just heartbreaking, you know? Um, it's really powerful, it, you know, yeah. it's and to, to, you know, for for him to then overcome that and to be motivated. Exactly. And, and that's how he got it. Like he says, that's how he got into boxing. That's yeah. how he, you know, maybe <laughs> I mean, it's he turned out to be a huge success, but right. to for to be able to choose something as a, he basically did it to earn money so that he could eat, you know, yeah, something so I know. basic. I know. I know. And just the. Yeah, the image that I, I shot for that one for the food was just that greasy, empty lunch bag kind of blown mm-hmm. up. And just the idea that that as a kid, he was trying to hide hide all of this. And he, you know, he talked to me about watching other kids just throw away their leftovers and their half-eaten stuff. Mm-hmm. But he had too much pride to ask, can I have that sandwich? You know, so right. let it all get thrown away. And that, that's even more heartbreaking. I know. Um, um, yeah. And of course, I think I asked him, well, did you qualify for free programs? And he, he said, well, there was too much paperwork. My mom didn't know how to do the paperwork. And, you know, and that's a reality, too. So there are these government programs that not everyone who needs to get them are getting. Right. Yeah. It makes it not so easy. It yeah. is. It is heartbreaking. And then um, I remember like even just during the pandemic, you know, schools were getting funding and here just locally mm-hmm. at Portland Public Schools, they did this program where they sent everybody home with um, it was basically a lunch plus another meal. You know, That's it could great. be breakfast or another meal. And they really 
and it was funded. So they, but they encouraged, there was a note that went around to the school, to all the parents that they ask everybody to take it because they didn't want, um, they had enough money right. to cover everybody and they wanted everyone, it was optional, but they wanted everybody to take it so that the kids so no who stigma. did took it, yeah, yeah. So there was no stigma. It was kind of like, we'll get this lunch, you know? So at the end of the year, cause they were only in school for two hours. It was virtual, it was vir virtual, but then they go, um, for two hours every day for in-class learning at the end of your two hours, you take home this, what would be your lunch yeah. and then another meal. That's really great. And that's, that is great that they made everyone take it or uh, push to have they it. Asked everybody. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's exactly what George Foreman goes on to say in his interview. He says that you really need to have this free lunch for everyone, not, um, just the kids who need it, because if it's just for the kids who need it, then they're going to feel like they shouldn't take it because they have this pride and they don't want to let people know. So yeah, it's so it's, it's tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we obviously didn't need it, but we got really creative. Uh, my, you know, my, my son didn't want it and I was mm -hmm. not going to push him, but my daughter, all of her girlfriends took it. So they were all eating the same thing. So later on that day, you know, on their little Facebook chat or whatever, they talk about yeah. eating the, but for her, it was kind of an adventure because she didn't eat hot lunch, you know? Uh -huh. So she would use that little lunch to kind of make her lunch. And it was fun because for her, she's like, what is this? And I was like, oh, these, right. are, the, these are the components for a sloppy Joe. She's like, what's a sloppy Joe? Right, let's, right, right, right. let's make it together. Yeah. They give you basically the cold chili, which you, you know, microwave and they give you like this hot dog bun and we'll put it in there. For, for yeah. her, it was like an introduction to all these foods that we well, normally don't eat. Exactly. Well, you know what? That reminds me of another story in the book of um, D.A. Tran, who was um, Vietnamese immigrant. Um, oh, yeah. And she she loved school lunch because she was like, this is so fanciful. Like, what is a corn dog? Exactly. Seriously. A corn dog. What, what could it be? Yeah. Because she's like, why don't you just say beef? Like, nobody says beef. Like, it's it's all so fanciful. And she loved these little, like, ketchup packets that were so wasteful. You just throw them away. And, oh, it seems um, so indulgent, right? Indulgent. Yeah. Single-use ketchup packet. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I liked her story a lot, too. And that I could relate too because, you know, at home growing up, we ate Korean food for the most part. Mm -hmm. And it was seriously my introduction to American cuisine. It was the first time I had like mashed potatoes and gravy, which I loved. You know, right. they would scoop it with the ice cream scoop. So it was perfectly round and it had right. this kind of brown with the ground beef, I'm sure, kind of lumpy gravy. But I loved it because I never ate it at home. And right. I'm sure right. it's like plenty like fatty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back then it was, you know, nowadays it's a little different because I see the lunches and a lot of it is packaged food. Mm -hmm. It's almost like processed food. Everything is individually packed. So they're not really cooking. The lunch ladies aren't really cooking. They're more like assembling or reheating or that kind of thing. But back in my day and probably back in your day, they were the lunch ladies actually made like cafeteria style. Like they would make uh, things in giant cheap pans and then basically yeah. cut it up, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think some schools are still like that, but you're right. A lot of the places have gone to more of a, a packaged type model. Mm -hmm. And I, I noticed that you were saying that you did a pop-up in uh, at Union Square. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that. So, well, so back to trying to get subjects for this book and make sure I had a you know, diverse group of people. I got really far, you know, at the time I was living in Brooklyn for most of the making of this book. And it's just, there's so many cultures in Brooklyn, like you can't beat it. And I just from friends of friends or work colleagues or, you know, neighbors, parents at my kid's school, I got to so many diverse, dif uh, different people and stories.
but I still felt like, what about the people that I would never connect to, you know, that are just outside of even a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, well, I'll just do a portrait pop-up in Union Square and I'll offer free portraits if you tell me your story, your lunch story, and, <laughs> sign, and sign this model release. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and so I shot 80 portraits that day. It was exhausting. I had That's a, a lot. <laughs> yes, it was a lot. I had an assistant and I had two friends who volunteered who were both writers who volunteered with my little form that I had made of, you know, questions to ask, and they took notes. Um, and we, we cycled through. And from that, I think, I think 10 or 11 of those stories made it into the book. Mm -hmm. uh, but I definitely accomplished the goal of just, you know, I, I think three people I, I shot and interviewed that day were homeless. And mm -hmm. there, there were people who were just tourists traveling, passing through with a suitcase. And, you know, Union Square, you just get everybody, people on their lunch break, whatever. Um, so it, that was super fun. And it was just fun to just spend a day chatting with everyone about their school lunch. And I wasn't sure setting up, I had this pang of like, who's gonna, who's gonna stop? Are we going to be like the people with clipboards that everybody walks by? And <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but, oh, we had a line. We, everybody was just coming over. It was great. Well, I mean, what a treat to have your picture taken by you, you know, <laughs> professional photographer. Yeah, yeah. I set it up so we could, you know, give little prints. And if they left uh -huh. their email address, we could email the, the thing. So people got something fun out of it. Right. Well, I feel like food is one of those topics where even people who, you know, I would not consider maybe food people, you get people talking about food. And this is kind of like everybody has an opinion. Everybody has oh, something yeah. to say. Oh, yeah. And it's regional, too. Like, I learned a lot of regional stuff um, that I had no clue. Um, for example, milk, like school milk. I grew up, like I said, in upstate New York, and the school milks were these little cartons. Mm -hmm. And that's how I thought that's the only way it even occurred to me that they would ever come. But then I interviewed someone who grew up in Oregon, and she got this milk in a pouch. And at first I couldn't even understand what she was saying. It was like a pouch. I was, I was picturing like <laughs> sun. She's like, no, it was like a little bag and you, you popped a straw in it. So, so I, I really did some homework on that one. And I found um, a dairy company in the, in the Midwest that agreed to send me because they, they are still making them. Some people, okay. These pouches. And have you heard of this? Have you ever heard of? No, I mean, I grew up in Oregon. Yeah. We, we had the carton, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a, if it depends on your, um, what age you are or what, I don't know who gets, the pouches, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that was fun to learn about, um, for sure. And well, I mean, chocolate like, milk is that huge thing. It was like, you know, oh, yeah. my, my kids, they, they talk about at their school, <laughs> you know, you just overhear the kids' conversation. I remember hearing the kids talk about how they had switched the chocolate milk. So they normally have, you know, a milk company, like a local dairy, and it's all this kind of uh, regular milk, 2% milk, and then they have chocolate milk. And then mm -hmm. apparently they overheard the lunch cafeteria people talking that they had run out of the regular chocolate milk. And oh. they had, and instead they had Hershey's chocolate milk. Oh. Brand, branded <laughs> the love that Hershey's chocolate milk. Uh -huh. And the kids went nuts because they all, yeah. all kids know Hershey's, right? Every kid yeah. wanted, every kid wanted um, hot lunch during that week or so that they had Hershey's chocolate milk available just for yeah. the milk. Well, you know, I did a, one of the stories in the book is with this woman, um, Tasneem Cherry, and I also have her daughter, Soraya, and her daughter at the time was six. And this woman, um, Tasneem, made these beautiful lunches in the, I don't know if you've seen the Planet Lunchbox. It's like the metal, 
you open it up and it has little compartments. It's all one thing. And it has oh, like yeah, that. yeah. I have seen it. Yeah. And so she would make like little rice balls and then like some snow peas and uh, a couple pretzels. So you can have like six different things because there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, a bunch of little compartments. And there's one teeny tiny square that's for a treat. And she would put, you know, like two gummy bears or something in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the deal that she had with Soraya was that if she put some good little treat in that treat spot, then that her daughter would not take the chocolate milk at school. So right. <laughs> yeah. um, that was sweet. I remember seeing that photo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when you're, um, when we were packing lunches, like the people, like people don't use bags anymore, paper bag. Maybe when you're a teenager, you're still in the paper bag. I don't know. Yeah. I think but it when is you're, a thing. When you're a kid, like, and especially in those elementary preschool years, it's all about finding the right. I remember doing so much research and trying to find the right box because it was like bento style where you you have to keep the moisture away from the dry things (laughs) but you don't want to be wasteful and have a bunch of plastic bags and stuff so the idea but i remember doing tons of research and finding one and when i found one i remember telling everybody like this is the one to get you know (laughs) exactly i can i can see you i've i kind of want to know what one it was because i bet it's better than what i'm using (laughs) well it was that was the key it was you could put something liquid into one of those compartments and no matter how they shook it or whatever yeah that moisture was not going to go touch the dry crackers or the sandwich <laughs> exactly. And I do think that is our children's generation who are benefiting from all of these advances in school lunch packaging. Right. <laughs> certainly when I was a kid, it was things got squished, things got dried out, you know. Right. Um, that poor I, sandwich with the apple rolled on. Yeah. When- <laughs> exactly. And I can't remember whose story it was at this point, but I do remember somebody remembering years later that their mom used the fold down plastic bag instead of the Ziploc and it just was oh, not yeah. good and they would let things dry out and they were like still upset about this mm-hmm. yeah I appreciated the efficiency there I remember reading one of the stories where her mom would get the entire um loaf of Wonder Bread oh, yeah. and make the ham sandwiches and just put it back in the bag and freeze the whole and, thing mm-hmm. and just pull out a sandwich a day and how it exactly. was supposed to be thawed by the time lunch came but it never exactly. really was quite fully thawed <laughs> exactly that was one actually that I got from the the booth the photo booth oh yeah um, yeah <laughs> I, I thought yeah I felt for that working mom I was like yeah way to way to find some ways to be efficient like exactly. make it all at once and then just pull out what you need exactly exactly and I that uh, there was another assembly line story um in the book with Gail Simmons did her mom they grew up she grew up in I think it was Toronto definitely Canada I want to say mm-hmm. Toronto and she her mom would make lunches also for her dad and her siblings and it would just be kind of like lay out all the bread assembly line <laughs> so right you gotta be efficient sometimes I, I really I personally people would think that you know I'd like to cook and stuff like that but it's like school lunches I just I actually really dreaded making the school lunches um I was always pushing hot lunch it was like hey yeah. come on kids hot exactly. lunch trying to sell exactly. the hot lunch program me too my kids now you know I print out the menu and they circle the days that they're gonna take the hot lunch and I'm all, when I when I check the calendar and I'm like oh yes two circles because because mm-hmm. they don't agree that's not like they'll both get it on the same day or you know they have different tastes which is also makes life more difficult but 
Yeah. Well, we used to have this thing. Um, well, the school would give you like the calendar, right? I remember right. getting like a colored calendar every month and I would put it on the refrigerator. And for me, it was it was like a reading a restaurant menu, you mm-hmm. know, and being and the combinations. I got to know that, okay, when you had macaroni and cheese, it usually came with little smokies, you know, <laughs> and green beans. Like there was a combination. It was like I got to know as a as a young child, this was my version of, of American cuisine. What went together so right. you know it was spaghetti I, and it was always italian spaghetti with um <laughs> garlic bread you know it was like yeah. what went together but they used to have this thing and i don't know if they, it was just my imagination or whatever but they used to have a, a call-in line for you could find out what was lunch it was like a, oh. a number that you call in and they would and somebody had recorded what was for lunch that day and it was so nostalgic that they stopped doing it but then they continued to do it this with make believe lunches oh, um, no and they way, were, that's great and people would call in to hear you know like work like adults you know like uh oh. hipsters would call in and find out what's for lunch today and oh, they would that's always, amazing and they would have the lunch lady read the lunches and she would pronounce everything the way that they remembered it like and it italian was and- <laughs> italian spaghetti you know da da you know yeah yeah, that's great. That's great. And then even the lunch boxes, like we we were in the era where people still had lunch boxes, right? Yeah, you know, definitely. Do, do kids still have their now they use those like soft sided insulated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I did have the pleasure of meeting one man for this book who has one of the largest collections of lunch boxes in the United States. And um that I was in Minnesota and I met a bunch of people there that are in the book, and he he's a designer. So of course he had it in his house, like a whole wall with shelves. And actually I ended up using the photograph of that for the end papers of the books. Right. Book. And I just couldn't believe how many lunch boxes he had. And yeah. Oh, they're great. It's I mean, so just looking at, there's like, you know, there's Popeye, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's Jungle Book, Star Wars, Trigger. I mean, it really, depending on what was on your lunch box, it really showed, you know, exactly. the era. I have a friend who collects lunch boxes too. And they are, it's, it's basically, it's a bit of nostalgia, Americana, um, what was popular at the time. Yeah. But I remember it being a big deal, like your lunchbox, whatever you character, you know, was pretty much your brand, you know, oh, yeah. like, were you like a Pac-Man person oh, yeah. or were you like, you know, you know, a gremlins kid? <laughs> I still have mine. I have it right here. I have my oh, metal, really? metal pigs in space lunchbox. That was uh, my, I think I like lunchbox, one of my first ones. And I feel like I think I got an, I want to say I got a new lunchbox every year. It was sort of like back to school, even though I'm sure the old one was fine, oh, but that yeah. was part of the like treat or maybe right. the vibe of going back to school. Is I know. You got to pick out what your, yeah. what your, you know, your backpack and your lunchbox is going to be mm-hmm. for the year, you know? I, because I was a hot lunch kid, I never got a lunchbox and I really always wanted one. I had a friend who had a strawberry shortcake one. Oh yeah. And wow. I remember just really liking it and really loving that little thermos that came in. It. Yeah. Although a lot of them really leaked. I remember. <laughs> I remember oh, I'm sure. Leaking. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of funny now because as an adult, now the making lunches, I think about I think about things like when I'm, you know, I want my kids to eat healthy. I want Mm -hmm. them to have a balanced lunch. But I also think about like, what would they be happy to open up and see? Or, you know, what would like I 
the store, like I don't want to put store-bought cookies. I want to put homemade cookies right, because I know right. like the other kids would be like, Ooh, and then I always pack extra in case they want to give one to somebody else. And there's a great story in, in your book about, um, a father who packed yeah, an extra lunch. Felicity Johnson. Yes. Yeah, so she, her, her dad was really all about, uh, kind of reminding her sort of as a father, reminding his daughter that not everyone has, as much as we do. And it, they weren't a wealthy family by any means, but they had enough that they could pack a peanut butter lunch, uh, peanut butter and jelly lunch every day. And he would often pack her an extra one. And he would say, just give mm -hmm. this to somebody who needs it. And I was thinking of that one, actually, when you were talking about the your packed lunch on the field trip days, because I think there was one time when um, her class was going on a field trip and the teacher said, okay, anybody who didn't doesn't have a packed lunch can't go or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And she they probably said, had to eat the school lunch or something. That some, and like had to stay and eat the school lunch. Maybe they, I think nowadays they do offer a packed version of those, but in this story, mm -hmm. that wasn't an option. And um, she said, well, yeah, I have an extra. And her, and the, the boy who took the lunch, like he was so excited, his face lit up. And I think it kind of, her dad's lesson really sunk in in that moment of, of sharing and giving. And, and she definitely always, tries to give food when she can. Right. And it's such a fundamental thing. Like we don't, you know, food is one of the, it's just, it's, it's like a gift. I mean, A, we yeah. need food for sustenance, but there's so much more connected to that giving of food, you know? And oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And especially with school lunch, I feel like it's a, it's sort of where broad culture meets like your family's strangeness you know what mm -hmm. i mean like you might be you might have a certain culture by your ethnicity or your um geography but then it also might be like oh your mom thinks grapes are gross so you you know so there, there's just weird right. things that are just personal to your family um and all of that gets woven together oh i know and i think you the fact that you concentrate on the elementary years is very much you know says and i, I agree that children at that age, don't have a whole lot of say, you know, right. they can, they can protest or they can be picky they or whatever, not eat it. Much, right. 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 They can not eat it, but their parents are pretty much whoever's packing their lunch is going to pack what they want to pack. Right. And the child can protest as much or whatever, but it's going to be whatever good or bad, or, you know, those kind of quirky things that the person packing the lunches will, yeah. will put it, like talk about the sandwich cutting. That was I exactly. That was, so I have a, I have a friend actually whose story I put in here, um, her name is Michaela Walker, and she's one of the first people I talked to about about school lunch. And she was so passionate. She, first of all, I'll just say she has a great relationship with her mom, so nobody should feel bad about her. <laughs> but her mom just wasn't really interested in making school lunch, and so every day for seven years, Michaela got a peanut butter and jelly, an apple, and an apple juice, and that was her lunch. And she right. did not every day, every day, every single day. <laughs> For seven years. And and her mom also insisted it was one of those um, people who feel strongly about the butter barrier to make the bread not soggy. So she would do the right. bread and then put the jam. And Michaela hated that. And But the mom wouldn't stop. Right. <laughs> she, she insisted. She's like, I yeah. know better well, than is, you. Exactly. We this must is butter the bread. Mm -hmm. Even though she's not eating soggy. it. <laughs> yep. And then also, like her, she just wanted her mom to cut it. Uh, I can't remember if she wanted her mom to cut it diagonally and her mom cut it straight. I think that's, or vice versa. But her mom was like, right. nope, this is how you cut a sandwich. <laughs> right. And she wouldn't budge. She wouldn't no. just throw her no. bone is what she said. No. Exactly. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> she had her ways. Even though exactly. she's not eating, she's like, the sandwich is going to be cut this way, and this is how it's done. Yep. Seven years, same way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Well, it certainly makes for a good story now um, as they're adults, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they still that they have a nice relationship. Yes. They could probably yes. laugh about it now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then, um, you know, some of the people who were interviewed in your book, you know, didn't grow up in the United States, so they had experiences of school lunch in other countries. Can you share some of the, you know, because we're, I think people, you know, probably have heard like different countries have different types of lunches and oftentimes much better funded or more variety or yeah. Quality, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was there's a Japanese story in here where it just it seems like a lunch that I want to eat right now, um, <laughs> fish and rice, and um, you know there was there was and a they group. participate in it too, right? They exactly the kids, they. I've seen pictures of it too, where they dress up like they're when they're when it's their turn, whether it's their class or their turn to help yeah. out. They wear the little jacket and the little chef hat. Exactly, and, and it's yeah, it's part of the culture. It's to teach about food and food service, and you know, and cleaning up mm-hmm. afterwards. So, yeah, I think we could. I think our nation could learn a lot from a lot of these different countries. Um, Murad Lalu, who um, grew up in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just flip to his page here one second. He had a great story because, um, let's see. He basically, oh, sorry. I was just going to say he basically, he didn't think of school lunch, school and lunch as being the same thing because basically you went home, all the kids Mm -hmm. went home and had this giant meal with their family and, and people came home from work you know, and, and ate with their family. And then everybody went back to work in school. So that's just such an interesting, different way to go about. Um, yeah, the whole culture, yeah. like they yeah. didn't, you just, you, part of, part of the lunch was not just the food, but like to leave what you're doing, whether it's mm-hmm. your job or school, go home, have lunch, you know, have that break in the day and then return to your job, your work, whatever, which is so weird in our go-go culture where you don't leave ever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as a result, like the meal was amazing. I mean, that's definitely one of the ones where, um, you look at the picture and you're like, wow, I want to, I want to eat that. Oh, I Um, know. Yeah. Stews and side dishes. And I wanted to eat what Marcus, Marcus Samuelson had um, growing up in Sweden. (laughs) Marcus Samuelson. I love it. I, I met with him and I just, he's such a great chef and I was so honored that he agreed to be in the book. Um, and then as we're doing the interview, he said, school lunch is one of the main three reasons I became a chef. And I was like, oh, my God, that's great. Yeah. That's so great. Because, you know, to him, he learned a lot about food from his grandmother's cooking. And she was a big influence on him in his early years. But also just I think the school cafeteria was the first time he encountered um mass production of food or you know mm-hmm. industrial scale of school food and he kind of realized well my my grandmother's meatballs are formed one by one and at the school they've got to really crank them out so it's going to be different and mm-hmm. and then of course it still was delicious they're they're another example of a country who's doing kind of a better job than um the united states at providing really nutritious interesting school lunches and mm-hmm. he, he also loved the food. And yeah, his was delicious. His looked really good. Yeah. And he talked about how um, 
it was the first time where he noticed where it was the technique too. So exactly, it would be the same dish, but he noticed that like this was just made better. And what, what would make, what, why does it taste better? Was it cooked better? Was it seasoned better? And I can see that influencing as a chef, because you can take the same piece of fish, give it to 10 different people and with the same ingredients and someone's going to cook it, cook it to be more delicious. And what does it take? Was the seasoning or how it's cooked, how it's cared for, how it's, you know, all those things. Exactly. Or even as simple as the timing of it's made by your grandmother and set right in front of you versus it's made and sitting in the cafeteria and what, how does that change the constraints? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I also love the story of Jacques Pepin, you know, you always hear the stories yeah. of him on his, I, I grew up watching Jacques Pepin on PBS and they would talk uh-huh. about, you know, and also when he was cooking with his daughter, cooks with Claudine. And, yes, you know, yes, of um, course. Yes. But, I was so excited again to get him for the book and I kind of, forgot that he grew up in wartime and I was kind of expecting like some really delicious story from him. Right. Um, and of course that's not the case. You know, he grew up um, during war and his mom was super busy. His dad was gone with the resistance, as he said. Mm-hmm. And, and he was kind of very early age. I think he was age five kind of farmed off to this Jesuit school where they served basically sounded like slop and bread that was so hard you had to hit it to knock the bugs out of it. (laughs) Not the story I was expecting from Jacques Pepin. Right. um, And he also talked about bartering with the local farm boys who would come with like a little jar of duck fat or or jam from their farm and he would barter his marbles or ball of string to try to get a little schmear on his bread. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a great story. Yeah. You talked about how he would, you know, really, you know, try to get a little bit of something for his like stale hard bread and got duck fat. And then he, one day he figured out that he, if he flipped it over, he could ask somebody else and they would give him. So he had duck fat on one side, a little, and then on the other side, he got a little bit of jam. He said flavors didn't really go together, but he was, you know, it was so much better than it had to start with, you know, probably masked the, uh, hard bread, um, (laughs) flavor. Right. He didn't even call it bread. He's like, I guess you could call it bread. You know. Right. It was like this hard biscuit type. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when my, I was reading a story to my kids and in the story, they talked about, you know, being on a ship and reading, eating these hard biscuits, these tack biscuits, uh, mm-hmm. supposedly. And you had to um, um, basically tap them against the like, you know, and to so the weevils or the bugs would like right. come out. It must have been the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so my kids the the visual image that they got of little bugs scurrying out of bread so that you could eat it was just like ah and I'm yeah. like you know that's how it was you know you had bread and it had right. to be you know kind of stale or hard so that it wouldn't you know mold right and you would take these this bread on their ships and that's what people had to eat so just really enjoy your homemade sourdough that your dad's been cranking out during the pandemic you know exactly <laughs> oh I want some of that <laughs> right right. <laughs> Oh, by the way, Gregor says hi. <laughs> oh, tell him I say hi also. <laughs> so I think we, um, I always try to, you know, give context of how we, how we met. And so you met, you and Gregor knew each other, um, both from the world of uh, photography and editorial work. Yeah, right? You were at Food and Wine. Exactly. I think I met Gregor um, when I was a photo editor and he was a photographer that would shoot for Food and Wine. And I always loved going on set with him. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was that was even before I was a photographer. 
And, right. and he was so great to work with. And then I guess I met you. I, I remember going on a shoot. Um, where was that shoot with? Um, was it at my house? It was, <laughs> we had a photo studio in our it house. It was a photo studio in your house, but there was another one with um, Alordis Castro. Do you remember oh, that one? Oh, yes, yes. And I think you got roped in as a model in the crowd. Right. <laughs> That is absolutely yeah, true. Yeah. Lourdes is going to be on the show. So Lourdes, oh, Castro, she's a cookbook author, nutritionist, educator um, at NYU, and she's amazing. And yeah. yes, we were doing a photo shoot for, I think it was Food and Wine. And I think it, it was, was about, Food and Wine. yeah, she was doing um, to promote her new book and you were the photographer. I think I, at that point I was still, I may have still been staff for Food and Wine, but I was shooting instead of being, it's, it gets a little blurry at the end of my time there. I was really shooting a lot for them as right. well. So I can't remember well, if I had already left or if I was still on staff. Well, you've done, you do beautiful work. I always see stuff that um, you share. Well, and you. Isn't that fun when people can actually, you know, find their passions? Um, obviously, we're still very happy yeah. doing food and wine as a photo editor, but it's to be able to evolve that into a career that you really love is always fun. To oh, see. yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the moment when I was a photo editor, and I realized I wanted to be a photographer was the moment I sent a photographer on a pie road trip. Right. And I was like, why am I booking the hotels, like doing all the production, editing the pictures when they get back, but not actually going on this pie road trip? Right. This sounds amazing. I shouldn't be taking these pictures and yeah, eating I, that pie. I could do that. that I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you always been interested in food? I know you shoot a lot more than just food, but have you always been um, into food? Uh, for sure. I mean, I've always been into eating food, let's say, and, <laughs> um, and I love to cook as well. I think really getting the job at Food & Wine as a photo editor is really what made me start thinking about food photography. I don't think it had really crossed my radar mm -hmm. before then. Um, and it was such a great uh, place to learn about food and food photography. So I feel really lucky for my time there. Right. And you said, you mentioned in your book that your mother was a great cook and a great baker. Definitely. Yeah. My mom cooked dinner pretty much every night growing up. And we actually had a lot of vegetarian food because, mm -hmm. um, my dad is, it was, and is a pretty strict vegetarian. My mom would eat chicken and fish occasionally, or if he was traveling, she would, she would cook chicken at home, but we had a lot of vegetarian. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, yeah. I mean, when I feel like uh, people who are vegetarian get get to be very good cooks because they get bored of just eating things plain, like just simple. Like you can't only yeah, eat so many yeah, salads, right? Be, yeah, you have to be really creative. I actually am. I'm not vegetarian myself now, and I and I actually cook a lot of meat for my family, and I want to be, you know, tilting more on the vegetarian side of things. But it's so much more work and so much more chopping, and um, <laughs> and so I really admire what my mom was able to do. Right. You have to coax those flavors in and just, yeah. you know, find, find variety seasonally, make it interesting. Cause you know, it, I sometimes, cause I cook meat too. It's, I find that mm -hmm. it's just easier to like cook that protein and throw, throw a vegetable, whatever on the plate. It's, it's pretty Definitely. much you're done. Whereas yeah. to make a really interesting vegetarian meal, it takes a little bit more. I mean, there's obviously vegetarians who just eat bread and macaroni and cheese, but <laughs> right. I'm talking about right. the people who like really embrace it and want to, right. You know, they're, they're usually oftentimes cooking, um, foods from around the world, you know, just yeah. to keep it interesting. Right. Yes. Certainly with the spices, like you really have to get into your, um, get out of with meat, you could just do salt and pepper and be fine. Um, mm -hmm. But with vegetables, you need to branch out a little bit. Right. 
So what's next for you? Are you do- working on any other books? I know this one was a big project. Yeah, no, I have to find my next um, kind of passion project. Right now, I'm really kind of been super busy with um, my commercial work, which mm-hmm. is good. And with the pandemic, I did take a little tack where I sort of opened a a home studio and was and started doing my own food styling and and shooting kind of one woman show with yes. which was a lot of work but actually I enjoyed it because as I said I do like to cook so it was kind of fun to kind of learn some new skills and and try to channel all the food stylists I've worked with over the years mm-hmm. um so but no I have to I have to figure out what that next idea is going to be because I am a firm believer in in personal projects and and little side ventures um so we'll see Mm-hmm. Well, I I look forward to it. Whatever it is, I'm sure the photography will be beautiful. Um, I do encourage everybody to go look for the book. It's out now? Well, it's out August 3rd. August 3rd. So keep an eye out. So it's basically, yeah. you guys can, can they, they probably can probably find it pre-order maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, it's available pre-order wherever books are sold. And um, there is a, I do have a website for the book that's schoollunchstories.com. And there's also my own website, which is just lucyshafer.com. And Schaefer has all the letters, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Um, lots of ways to spell that, but yeah. Right. Well, every, um, thank you, Lucy, so much for joining. Sure. Um, thank you so much for having me. I, I love that. I loved having, I love to get to talk about one of my favorite topics. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to have to tell me, give me some ideas because school's starting soon. I want to know what you pack your kids. Oh, I know. I know. It's yeah. people ask me all that time. And I was like, you know, it's pretty much whatever they want. I have very vocal children, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I like everybody else do find it to be to be a, be a chore. But, yeah. you know, I also try to remember how important the lunch is. And so, um, you know, you give and take, they eat really healthy at home. And so, you know, yeah. you want to make that the thing, something to look forward to during the day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. my only tip is, you know, make it, yeah. make it, you know, give them something to look forward to because there's plenty of other times where I can feed them whole grains and right. whole vegetables and right. things like that. So. Well, and often that stuff, if you put it in, it comes right back. Like, <laughs> like right. they're just, you're not there sitting at the lunchroom with them being like, eat those carrots. So yeah. Yeah, Gregory says that. He says that it just goes on a field trip. Like he's like those right. same packet of carrot sticks, and, you know, like the prepackaged ones. They just go, they come yeah. back. It's basically a show in case the teacher sees what the what you're right. packing their right. kids. You're like, oh, I see all the all the food groups are represented, but it's the same pack of carrots. Right, right. Like, oh, you know, maybe one day they'll eat a couple of them. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this is episode 13 of Food People Are the Best People. Please go check out um, School Lunch, Unpacking Our Shared Stories by Lisa. Schaefer. Thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it.